A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Karen Kachik who is the Director of Life Sciences Regulated and Enterprise Solutions at MasterWord, where she helps chemical, energy, and life science companies do business globally with minimal risk. Karen has a really unique combination of industrial and service experience. She's a PhD chemist, is a linguistics whiz, particularly in French. And today she does lots of technical translation. So it's a really interesting space um, in the industry and one that is really highly needed. So Karen and I are going to be talking about translation services, COVID's impact on the supply chain of service workers, and much more. Karen, welcome to The Chemical Show. Well, thank you for having me, Victoria. It's a pleasure. Great to have you here. Let's start with your origin story. What's your origin story? What got you interested in chemistry? And ultimately, what got you to what I would consider a non-traditional field for a PhD right. chemist? Right, absolutely. Uh, what got me? Um, middle school, the teacher doing demonstration of how metals react in water. We were learning about the periodic table. You know, flame color, whether they fizz, whether they, that was my, that's my first love chemistry uh, answer to that question. What really, what was the thing that got me loving chemistry? Um, And uh, I I really liked blowing up soap bubbles, uh, like creating a gas into soap bubbles and boom, they explode. That was lovely. Well, how surfactants work is, is, is fun and lovely as well. Yeah. Very good. No, I still remember potassium burns with a lilac flame and magnesium, that bright white. That was, that was when I love, fell in love with chemistry. I also always loved languages. So I was trying throughout high school to study both as much science as I could, uh, leaning chemistry and as much language as I could. And I ended up in, um, my undergraduate degree in the UK would be an equivalent of what you would say chemistry major with a French minor. Um, and I did spend a year abroad working um, in a pharma company, Rompulanc, it's now part of Sanofi Aventis. So that I hadn't, I, so I loved chemistry all through that time. I was the kind who went to organic chemistry in college and fell more in love with organic chemistry and kept going in that direction, right? We all not know me. there's a split, not me. right? <laughs> okay. We all know the clear split when you study organic chemistry, right? Um, so I loved it and I went headlong into that um, and went on to do a PhD in organic synthetic methodology in Cambridge with um, the late, great Dr. Stuart Warren. He died uh, last year. 
Um, so early on in that PhD, though, I realized that I didn't want to be in academia. I definitely didn't want to be in that that end of the spectrum. I wanted to apply the science. So I, when I got out, I worked as a development chemist for what was then GlaxoSmithKline. So um, no, it was then SmithKline Beecham, right? We all know what it is now, right? Uh, near Cork in Ireland. Um, uh, still loved chemistry, uh, but we moved to the States. So my husband, we wanted an adventure. Uh, my husband is French. Um, the last name comes from his family. He's Polish, uh, Polish and French. Anyway, um, so when I moved to the States, I got a job in a cosmetics and medical device company. Think lotions and potions, wound gels, yeah, moisturizing. So that was broadening my experience, broadening my industrial experience. Formulation chemistry is a different kind of chemistry than the than the heavily organic synthetic pharma life sciences uh, stuff I had started with. Um, so that was really my chemistry early career. Then we had kids. So that's where the switch started. Um, I did go back to work, but then I decided I didn't want to work. I took a break, had two more kids. Um, and that was where, as a person, as a you know housewife, I suppose, you, I, I, I discovered freelance uh, translation. So I became a linguist at that point, translating chemistry. That's so that was where the switch happened. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. And I guess I don't often think of translators having the uh, academic and chemistry prowess that you have. Right. Um, but right. it's really interesting. Yeah, you'll find it very much in this world of language services. You'll find people who specialize in automotive or in legal or in uh, whatever it is. We it, Because you can't translate something you don't understand, Right. Um, you know, I don't like translating contracts, for instance. I don't like reading contracts in English, <laughs> even when I have to sign them. So I wouldn't want to translate one, right? But you can't translate a chemistry patent or even a safety data sheet if you don't understand the chemistry, right? So, Makes sense. yeah, so there's a whole world out there of um, engineers and scientists translating for language services industry with subject matter expertise. Yeah. That's really interesting. So tell us a little bit about Master Word. Um, yeah, where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Masterword is a um, is a Houston-based company in the, based in the Energy Corridor. It's a full-service language services company. So what is that you're asking? Yeah, yeah. It I am. it provides um, think about translation the written word documents, the spoken word interpreters in meetings or wherever you are, um, like subtitling, voiceover, sign language, braille. It, so it's language services in the broadest sense that you can think of. It's any language, anywhere. It's public and private sector, um, and and we're full. And we got our start in the energy industry. The the owner, the woman, uh, were woman founded, woman owned. My boss, the CEO, is a Russian American who got her start helping uh, a super major in the energy industry doing projects in um, what's now the former Soviet Union. So that's how we, so it began with a Russian speaking American and it, and 30 years later, we're pretty much any language, any time, any sector, you know, you can imagine anything. The hospital systems need interpreters, the, your courts and local government right, to, cor yeah. to, to corporate America, taking corporate America global. 
the works. Yeah. So that's really interesting. In fact, that's a good lead into my next question is, which is when and where do companies use translation services? Which, I mean, let's maybe, I particularly think about the energy and chemicals and material mm-hmm. science mm-hmm. industry. When, when do people yeah. know, how yeah. do they know well, that they, they need yes, services and question. then how do so, they find you? Yes. Well, how they find us, um, it's usually word of mouth these days because we have enough uh, accounts in the field that it's like, who are you using? I, I can't do this in English. What do you, how do I do this in Korean? Um, whatever yeah. the case. But so um, they use trans- anything from, let's say, sales and marketing materials, right? Something that they're, they're trying to get into a new market or they're trying to, you know, biz dev the standard stuff and you can't always do it in english there's a a line we use can't read won't buy and it particularly affects b2c but in our b2b world there are situations where english doesn't cut it right if you're you know corporate america trying to take your business global um and then it's your employees uh safety i mean it's all about risk mitigating risk and safety uh, in, well, that's a lot of it is about mitigating risk and safety. Are the people on your plant, your rig, your site, native English speakers or not? And to what extent do the safety notices, to give a, a simple example, uh, what is it really okay that they're only in English or that the safety training is only in English? Or should you really be giving that in another language as well? So that's another good example. Then you can go all the way to labeling. Uh, safety data sheets, product data sheets, you know, that, that sort of purchasing on the, you might have regulatory driven translation needs, depending on the nature of the product you're selling. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. Examples. Oh, IP. That's the other big one. Your patents. Where are you filing your patents? In some, mm. you know, depending on your patent jurisdiction, you might be filing it only in English, but you might be filing your patents in another language. So IP is another area where people come for translation. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's it is, you know, we're in such a global business environment. Um, <laughs> and as an as an American uh English speaker, it's easy to think, well, everybody, you know, English is the business language, but we all know it's not um, right. around the world, right? Even though and I well, I've it is a, a lingua franca and it's yeah. often the starting point, but it's yeah. not often the best end point depending on the nature of your clients and your business and which country you're. I mean, you could be trying to do business in Canada, in Quebec. In Quebec, it's regulated. You have to use French and English. So we do a lot of translation into French for Canada for a lot of American companies because they can't see that. Yeah, Yeah. we do. And I think even just as you mentioned, or the, um, a lot of times the operating, the operators, the manufacturing, the lab workers don't necessarily have the same language skills that the uh, engineers or the, the business the leaders may have do, that, that sure. maybe have multiple language sets, but um, right. others don't. And I know I've, I've run into that myself. Um, you know, when I was at Shell, I would, was in the Netherlands often. Um, and, you know, I, you kind of become used to the fact that everybody I talk to that's Dutch speaks English really well. And then you'd get around, I would get around some manufacturing or some lab workers or some of the uh, operators and I find out, oh yeah, they don't have the same English skills. Like I could talk to them. And I'm like, oh no, it is not. The translation's not there. So that whole aspect of 
working in a global environment and needing to to adapt yep. to everyone's language. I languages. have done exactly that recently this year when on site to a plant had a shutdown because their operators had been trained in English, not in the other language they needed to be trained in. And they needed, so we translated the slide decks and then we sent interpreters in to, to, to interpret live during the training. Um, and I was there, this was a mission critical type situation yeah. so i was there supervising um and i was it was exactly the situation you're describing where the mm. where the you know the graduate the engineers the leaders they all have they're all bilingual but you just can't count on that for everyone right absolutely so wh where we started this conversation uh, or when you we had reached out to each other the pandemic and the events of the past three years we have been talking about the supply chain challenges that have come about as a result of that and I think we often think of that as goods. Um, you know, whatever, my, my think of computer the that I ordered Beach. is not showing up. Yes. The chemical yes. products aren't getting where they need to be. And, and we're still yes, seeing the after of effects of that. How did that affect service businesses such as Masterwork? Yeah. yeah. So immediately the, the main effect was that everybody cut their budgets. <laughs> that was the first, right? You know, spring 2020 when we were all in, you know, a, a, pivoting mode or catastrophe mode before we were even pivot anyway so budget cuts um that was the first thing initially um and then also if you think about our business being written word sure we can do it, but it, the spoken word they were people were going into in person interpreters in person that couldn't happen anymore so we had a technology shift within the language services industry where it's now completely normal for on a on a meeting like this for the interpreter to join your zoom call and for the listeners to choose between the channel the english language channel or the channel of the interpreter who's on the call and they're just so, so so we had a technological shift in our particular industry. OK, so I'm so now I'm curious, can you do that on Zoom or is there yeah. is it another app? Yeah. No, really? all, the so, all the big, all the big. Oh. Yes, you can. Absolutely. I, so yeah, I can um, like we I can turn a, off who I'm listening to. You can. Really you can awesome. turn. You can switch. <laughs> yes, you can switch from the English channel to the Spanish or the Chinese okay. or the Arabic or whatever okay. channel it is you need to listen to. Yeah. All the all the major platforms we might use for online meetings do that. And then we have our own. Um, we have our own platform. Some customers prefer to use our platform because then we handle the technology behind right. the scenes and who's showing up in the meeting links and stuff. And some customers prefer to do it on their own system. But yes, you can certainly do that. So there was that sort of technological pivot that we had. It was like an existential crisis for the interpreters of the world who had been used to traveling to the site to yeah. work with people. And suddenly they were sitting behind a desk looking at a screen all day. So, so that was one part um, specific to language services. More generally for service providers in the supply chain, um, uh, well, uh, we were just, um, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a moment. So the budgets died, right? The budgets died and then everyone started to settle, right? And then we're like, okay, so what's next? So our revenue dropped hugely in 2020. And it rose again. It rose nicely in 2021. Then we had sharp growth in 2022. So we can tell that customers are coming back. Okay, they know they know they need us. They're growing again themselves. Um, so that pattern's probably uh, 
realistic across the board for many service providers because people just stop, you know, not just language services, whatever other professional services you're buying. Did it change your talent availability, right? So I know that Uh, one of the things we've certainly seen over the past several years is a shift in talent availability. Um, You know, and I guess maybe two things with that. One, it's just the availability of talent. Is there a talent shortage? Number two, because now that you talk about using Zoom in lieu of in-person translation, are are you, is your industry, are you guys seeing the same, I don't want to go back to work or do go back to the office or go back to traveling? So so how is this affecting talent? Yeah. What's going yes. on with so, the talent base? So first of all, um, does the talent exist? It depends on the language combination and the subject matter. So I would say, generally speaking, um, like if you want, Spanish in the U in North America, there's not really a talent shortage. You just need to pay for the right person with the right subject matter expertise. However, you tell me you want a rarer language, then yeah, we're starting to get into shortages, especially if you want credentialed people. So there are shortages, I would say not across the board, but in the more specialized, the rarer languages or the rarer subject needs. Um, what we did find more than a talent shortage is that the linguists, when inflation hit, the linguists all wanted to raise their rates, quite uh, rightly. Sure, why not? Because um, the linguists are the little guy who've been squeezed, right? And they didn't want it. They started pushing back in significant numbers as we saw this, you know, inflation, global inflation. Um, but then it's like, okay, how can how much can we raise our rates? How much can we tighten our margins? Where are we going with this? So we, so what, how that's affected us is that we can still find linguists, but the, can we raise our prices? Are we are we squeezing our margins? That's the eternal debate that is that's going to be the same for all. Yeah, and that's every business's right? great it's, debate, right? right? So, so can that's, you pass your um, cost through? Right. Um, yeah. That that's really the that's been the big battle. And and in fact, we had to do it for some language. So here's a good example. Um, when Russia invaded Ukraine, mm. we had to close our Russia office, among other things. Right. Like we had to get out of Russia right. like a lot of people. Um, but also we couldn't use any linguists based in Russia. So all the linguists we were using for translation into Russian, which is, of course, not only for Russia, we may not be doing business for Russia anymore, but we've still got projects in Kazakhstan or, you know, elsewhere, other Russian-speaking companies, countries. And so we had to raise our rates for Russian specifically because we couldn't use, so we were mainly using U.S.-based Russian speakers um, and mm-hmm. Russian. So, so, and they charge much more than the global population of Russian speakers. So there's an example where we just, we had a geopolitical situation that meant we we made a blanket decision to raise rates for that single language because we yeah. had to, because we decided we would use largely US-based or Ukraine-based Russian speakers. So that's a very specific example, but it's it's a real one. And it would, you know, the geop- yeah. geopolitical events do. Where do you, where do you, most of your translators reside, I guess. So, I mean, are you, is, is your translation it, services kind yeah. of clustered by region? Yeah. So, so or, for or instance, yeah, no, there's a whole, so, so there's a, there are, there's a cluster in the Houston area, Texas as a whole, I would say, because we do a lot of in-person stuff in the state. However, right. all over the U.S., we have providers in many languages, but it's, and then all over the world. So, so let me give you an example of why. If you are trying to do business in Vietnam, 
the Vietnamese that Vietnamese speakers in Vietnam speak is not the same as the immigrant Vietnamese population in the US. So if I'm selling, helping a company uh, sell to Vietnam, a chemical, a new chemical plant, for instance, yeah. we need Vietnamese translators who are in Vietnam. If my colleague who handles the healthcare contracts for MasterWord is helping a hospital system in downtown Houston, uh, provide Vietnamese, they, he needs to use Vietnamese linguists who live in the US and who understand the differences between be, between their... It's like my English and your English, right? It's not the same language, right? right. And we... and we so, so that's really... So the answer is we've got people everywhere. And according to the account we're dealing with, we know which set of linguists we need to provide for that account. Yeah. Is it that... Is it that slang or colloquialisms work their way in or is it the actual formal language is somewhat um, different? It varies. So it depends on the language. So it, let's use English as an example, since all your listeners will have that as a core. Yes, of course, it could be sports idioms, right? It could be it could be the way we describe holidays. The holidays aren't, you know, there's no Memorial Day in the UK or there's, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you don't, you don't celebrate, you don't talk about cricket here. So it could be that kind of thing, but it could be a political matter. It could be how you talk about, um, I mean, for instance, what kind of Chinese are we translating into? Is it Taiwan? Is it going to be language that Taiwanese people approve of or mainland Chinese people or Hong Kong Chinese? So there's political considerations as well as the obvious things like holidays and date format and time format right. might not be the same in Vietnam. They might use a certain date and time format. And here they've adopted to use the U.S. system. It's right. it's all it's a whole sort of package of things that we call localization. So you're making something fit for the locale concerned, and that so that may be a gram. It may be that grammar is different. For instance, UK and US, we yeah. use certain yeah. different grammatical structures, and the spelling is certainly different, right? It so certainly it's... is, and um, there are lots of options. Um, and there's just things that sound wrong in a certain culture or context that don't sound that sound right in another culture or context, and it's all about having the right. Uh, the right linguists for the for the context. So we, it's always about what the fit for the context is. Yeah, very. Um, so let's talk about the customer experience because it's something that we talk about regularly on the chemical yes, show. Yes, it is. How do you and MasterWord think about this? Is there a MasterWord way? Um, how, it, when you think about kind of just the wide variety of customers and in freelancers and employees and what have you, how do you define customer experience? How do you create, or do you even try to create a single customer experience? No, because we have to uh, adapt it for each vertical that we're selling to. The way we're doing business, the way you would sell to a public sector versus private sector is radically different, right? So, so there's no single master word way. Do we have the customer experience in mind, customer focus? Of course, um, but we have entirely different sets of marketing materials, for instance, for uh, for the for the market we're we're going after. Right. What would work? Uh, you know, I'm helping. I'm typically helping corporate America go global or a service provider try to do business with a US company, right? That's typically what I'm doing. The solution, the, the problem I'm trying to solve is growing their business, or sometimes it's internal. It's how can we have our employees better trained, our global employee base better trained, or our 
yeah, so so that's the kinds of problems I'm solving. Um, and uh, you can imagine what my customer focus would look like. We talk a lot about risk mitigation. Um, uh, we talk a lot about, you know, is there a risk to your reputation? Uh, you know, is there, right. I've, I gave an example of a plant shutdown, right? That's yeah. a pretty severe example, right? Yeah. The other easy examples are patent litigation cases, right? Because they, they wasn't translated properly or people made assumptions, you know, there are, right. there are risks there. It's like, what's the risk here? Um, so I, I, I often sell based on risk. Yeah, that's interesting. And in fact, I I would not have thought about translation services as a risk mitigation tool. And yet it's obvious. Once you bring that up as one of the considerations, it's yeah. obvious, particularly when we think about whether it be training, whether it be the safety data sheets and, and all right. of the product information and usage right. information and uh, hazard and risk assessments. It's obvious that it's a risk right. mitigation we're, tool, we're often but it's not big, one I would normally have grabbed and said, oh yeah, this is this is what you do. People tell us we're the biggest industry you've never heard of, right? It's yeah. like, like we're, I've heard, you know, we, you don't think about us until you need us. It's like, oh wait, we have a, and translation bloopers come, you know, that's when we make the news, right? When someone right. has a catastrophe because the, the product brand name is a swear word in another language or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, so this is not an unusual um, response, Victoria. You, you're, yeah. you're, but you're right. It's so obvious when you put it out there, right? Isn't it? Communication is, it, we have, there are barriers and yeah. we remove those barriers that the work we do removes those barriers and that does typically mitigate risk. How does AI fit into your world, right? I mean, that is such a hot topic. I've just recently yep. interviewed somebody who has a science-based AI company um, on the podcast. And, but I mean, I think all of us think, oh, you know, AI, I was, I was looking with my daughter, uh, one of my daughters earlier this week, who is heading to Japan for a school trip. And I was helping her do some research on some of the locations that she's going to and what else could she be doing if she's got free time and stuff. And, you know, she told me basically, mom, just, and I'm like, I'm looking for the English button on the website. Yeah. And she's like, oh, just hit that Google, just hit the Google translate. Yeah. Right. Which is obviously an AI based tool. How does AI fit into this? And right. is it going to yes. take away no, your absolutely. job? So first of all, if you do that, if you just click it, Whatever yeah. it is it's translating, you've just given them your intellectual property. So don't do that in anything other than the translating the menu and working out the directions to get to the museum context. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I should not load my um, your, proprietary your document into chat. GPT. Exactly. Some contract okay. that somebody sent you for review. You can't. I mean, so you know, of course, many large companies will have paid versions. There are paid versions that are secure that you can use. So to, to start, to take a step back, though, to answer your question. So I think we're kind of ahead of the game on AI because we've been dealing with machine translation and the threat, the supposed threat of machine translation for years, for decades. OK, so what now we're seeing, we're looking at the language industry is looking at this thing. Oh, look, everyone else is seeing how it makes dreadful mistakes. <laughs> Have you, did you see the it one does. about the lawyer who used chat GPT to, to brief his? 
to provide. Oh, anyway. Um, so everyone's catching up and seeing the catastrophes that it can produce, right? Got it. So that's fundamentally where we've been for a while. So what I would say is there's absolutely um, fit for purpose cases where machine translation, raw the output of a raw machine translation, where you run it through a paid IP protected version of those softwares can give you the gist of something very fast. So, you know, someone that scans in 200 pages of, I don't know, engineering drawings for a potential project you're looking at, right? Of course, run it through and see what you get. And then you might find that that chunk in the middle is the really important part and you send that on, right? So that would be looking at raw material, raw machine translation for gisting purposes. Um, you Then there's what we call post-editing where a human takes that raw and tidies it up and gives you something that double checks it. So that is a workflow. It's perfectly valid workflow. We typically have both that workflow and the human translator, editor, proofreader workflow for clients. They can, and it's according to need. Some of their material, you know, your latest mark, marketing campaign needs human needs the human touch right yeah, it's got yeah. some creativity it needs to have some some polish to the language something you're reading for information you can machine translate it and then we'll have someone edit it tidy it up a bit for you so so that's the way i look at it so it's a tool um, and like many professions or industries the people who use the tools best will thrive right the people who don't use the tools well will fade away so that's the way we look at these things um yeah yeah yeah, yeah and i but, think it's kind of the the order of importance i think is as your point is like how critical something is if it's you know if it's a menu right exactly throw it into a translator of course. and exactly. it's close enough um, it, exactly yeah. it doesn't matter it's it's all about is there risk to your reputation your brand is there risk to the life and limb i mean where mm. are we on the scale is the risk that you don't like your dinner is rather different than the is the risk to your brand right yeah. you know uh, let alone mm. life and limb yeah interesting so the um do you see yourself other companies using ai even more to support what you do? Are you are, are you at kind of a static point or is it an inflection yeah. point in the transition? Yeah, no, I wouldn't well? say it's an inflection point. The inflection point has happened for us okay. um, in terms of considering whether or not to offer it or suggesting it for the appropriate, yeah. you know, we get a document from someone and they tell us the purpose of the translation. We usually know the answer. Got it. I, I, it takes no, I mean, I, I can take one look at something and, at, a, at a purpose and say, well, we're doing that for this, aren't we? So right. um, uh, I just, um, so it's not an inflection point. Are we using it more? I would say that clients are more aware. So more potential clients are asking us, do you just do AI for this? And we do get the occasional client who comes, someone, say a potential client comes in with an estimate and they get sticker shock. Um, we had a consulting company for an engineering uh, company come in with, they had these beautiful slide decks that they clearly use for all their pitches yeah. um, to, to energy companies or chemical companies, let's say. They were an engineering firm pitching to, to larger companies and, and they got sticker shot. I mean, beautiful slide decks, complex content, complex images, 
But that's that's a lot of work for humans to do that. And they had no but and they said, well, we're just gonna run it through AI. We don't have any budget for this. And I thought, that's such a shame. You spent, I mean, how long did it take you to create these pitches? And now you're gonna do that for this in to, to mm. pitch it in this other language. So it's that kind of question. Yes, we encounter people who just don't have the budget um, and mm. haven't thought about the language needs. Of course we do, like every like every bit, you know, every service provider, you don't make every yeah. deal, right? Um, so, yeah, we see the whole spectrum of people who say, oh, never, ever touch AI or machine translation for any mm. of our jobs. We, we, we object in principle all the way to people who are saying, what can you do to cut my costs? Yeah. So we have, you know, like most yeah, businesses, we have a whole spectrum. That's interesting. Well, good. So this has been great. What what is next? What's next on your horizon for you and for Masterword as you look ahead at 2023 and into 24? Well, growth. I would, yeah, we're looking at um, awesome. growth again this year, which is nice because um, some of the there the couple of I would say giants giants in my industry are sort of approaching the billion dollar mark. There are a couple okay. of giants who we are competing with. Um, they're not growing this year but we are so we're doing something right so that's nice um um there's an so we have um what we noticed among our service providers was a strong increase in uh, cyber security needs in the supply chain or that's something else that's happened that's come out of the pandemic so we have just finished being audited for iso 27001 which is the it related um ISO certificates, you know, everyone okay. likes their supply chain. Yeah. To have. We we have the we've had the basic ISO for years and the niche ones, but and then there's another one. So that has happened. And what's next is there's one specific to the medical device industry. So that's the life sciences med dev sci- uh, sector is another sector, obviously that I'm very comfortable with. So the ISO certification related to the medical device industry is next on my radar because that will help me in growing that side of the business. So what do the ISO certifications do for you guys? So I'm thinking about the ISO certification yeah. related to Right, 9001 is the, well, in supply chain, people want their, I mean, any, all the, everyone has a quality management system, yes. right? And it's much easier to be onboarded as a supplier mm. when you right. follow the same quality management system, yeah, right? So it's, it's that and, simple. Yeah. So lots and lots of service providers have quality management systems ensuring traceability and all the other things that uh, quality management systems um, provide. Um, So we've had one of those for ages. And uh, yeah, like I said, so there are niche uh, niche ISO standards for, I don't know, machine translation or or healthcare interpreting. We we have those, but like I said, so cybersecurity is something we noticed a big push on. Um, We've we've been improving our internal IT systems, but when on those vendor onboarding um, and all the, I mean, we qualify for diversity supplier, right? Mm. Obviously we're a women-owned company. So a lot of companies are trying to get, increase their diverse supplier base. um, And we are just seeing huge amounts of of questions related to cybersecurity and our IT setups. Um, So having the credential, it ticks the box faster yeah. than having to write screeds of, of the poor director of IT having to actually answer questions, right? If, if you can see the credential, it checks the box. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. This has been fascinating. 
Thank you, Karen. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's lovely to talk about the service provider side of the supply chain, because like you said, we always think about the parts that aren't where they need to be when they need to be. Um, But there are lots and lots of us. But without the words, the parts sometimes don't matter. That's right. (laughs) So this has been a real pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. And thank you everyone for listening today. Keep listening, following, sharing, and we will talk to you again next week. Cheers. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.